All right, here's the deal. We're going to continue our, our sermon series, message series that we started a few weeks ago, Reboot. And what we're going to talk about today is, is something that's, um, that I think all, well, all of us should, should believe in and know about, even if we want to kind of deny it from time to time, we should know that it's true. Several years ago, uh, probably 10, maybe 12 years ago now, I sat in a conference, a uh, ministry conference with this guy, and uh, he was talking about how the internet was going to change the church, and it was going to change the style of ministry the church had to do. Now, you need to know something about me. Those of you that know me real well will know I wasn't a big front runner on this whole internet thing. I didn't have a computer in my house that could get on the internet until most everybody else did. And I really thought that the internet was going to be like the metric system. How many of you grew up? In, I'm 40 years old. If you're close to my age, when we went to school, they started in the first grade teaching us the metric system and telling us how well, you, when you get to be an adult now, everything's going to be in kilometers and kilograms and grams. We're not going to do any of this other stuff because the rest of the world does it this way. Well, you ought to know we're Americans. We don't care what the rest of the world does, right? We do it the way we want to do it. And so, the, I, so I was thinking that this whole the internet thing would be like the metric system and it would all blow over and I wouldn't have to know about it. Of course, that's not the case, is it? In fact, I have to be on the internet every day now checking emails, doing all kinds of other things, checking Facebook and Twitter and these things. And so the internet is now a part of our lives. And, but what this guy was saying was going to happen 10 or 12 years ago, he was talking about the fact, he said the internet is going to change people's lives so much, it's going to make them isolated. And churches, people are not going to want to come to church anymore because they're not going to want to have real contact with people. And, and you're going to have to come up with ways to minister to people through the Internet. And some churches have done that, which is a great idea. But what he was saying was going to happen has never taken place. Because you fast forward to 2009, and what are the most popular sites on the Internet now? The most popular websites are all social networking sites, things like Facebook and Twitter, and MySpace, those are the most popular websites there are because people still want to connect. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that a technology like the Internet that seems like it should be isolating people is actually pulling people together. Take Facebook, for instance. Uh, I never had a Facebook account until one day Blake, our, our youth pastor, I walked in my office and he was sitting at my desk. And that all if I ever see him sitting at my desk, I don't like that. And I said, what are you doing at my computer? He said, you have a Facebook account now. I said, great. Why do I need a Facebook? He said, just get on it and try it out and see what happens. Well, over the next two weeks, I began to reconnect with people that I had not seen in years. There's a guy that I grew up with that we went to see Star Wars together for the first time, and we were best friends all the way from like third grade till, till about 10th grade, and then we still hung out some while we were in high school, and I had no idea where he was anymore, and I found him. He's living in Philadelphia. He's an architect up there. Never knew where he was. Over 20 years, had no clue where this guy was. Another guy that I graduated from high school with that we hung out a lot my senior year, we talk regularly on Facebook now, sending each other messages and that kind of stuff. It has served to bring us together. Now, here's, here's why I think that has happened. Even though the internet, which seems like it should be isolating people, is bringing people together, the reason that has happened is because we naturally need to connect with other people. For us, connecting with other people is, is part of who we are. 
In fact, if, if someone is in prison and, and they've been shut away from society, the worst kind of punishment they can then be given once they are there is they are put into solitary confinement. And so even though you've been punished to this point, you've been taken away from your family, your freedoms have been taken away, what can we do that's worse than that? We'll lock you away in a cell by yourself for a month and they just slide food in and out of the door because that's the worst possible thing for us as human beings is to be completely alone, completely away from connecting with other people. You see, God has designed us to be in relationship with others. God has designed us to be in relationship with others. There's a great book that I read a couple years ago called Into the Wild by a guy named John Krakauer, and he's written some kind of adventure kind of books like that. And um, it tells a story of a, a kid who grew up, and he was kind of a privileged kid, and um, he decided to give up all of his trust fund money and, and totally live off the grid and go to Alaska and try to live by himself. And in that book, John Krakauer tells about other people who have tried to do this. And he tells stories about different people who've gone to Alaska to try to live completely off the grid. And he tells a story about one guy who did it. He went to Alaska. He had no relationships with anybody. He completely lived off the grid. He, he made his own uh, food. He grew it. He either killed it and uh, he handled his own heating and all that kind of stuff. He had no electricity in his cabin. But even though he didn't have any of those things, he also didn't have any relationships. He would come into town the closest town every now and then and get some supplies and that would be it he would rarely speak to anyone when he was there and he was this kind of mysterious guy and they talked about in that book how this guy successfully lived that way for several years I think it was almost 20 years that he successfully lived that way and then one day it got to be springtime a time when he would normally come into town and so the people that owned the store and stuff that he would he would come in and buy supplies at noticed he wasn't there and they began to get worried about him they knew where his cabin was no one had ever been in there because he had not built any kind of relationships and they went in and they found him he had shot himself committed suicide and you see his attempt to completely live alone and to live off the grid, it failed. And the reason why it failed is because even though he could meet all of his economic needs independently, even though he could meet all of his physical needs as far as food and shelter independently, he could not meet another need that he had, which was a relational need. He could not meet that need all alone. And he was trying to live in rebellion against the very way God had designed him. The reason you need other people, the reason you need to have a deep connection with other human beings is because that's the way God has wired you up. And, the, and, there's, and I could tell you might be sitting there today and say, well, you can't prove that and all this kind of stuff. There's studies that have been done that have proved that. There's physical evidence. There's, there's physical evidence that as far as folks that are sick and if they have someone who loves them and cares for them and is nurturing them, how they heal faster than those people that are left all alone. But not only is there physical evidence, I think it's something that you know and I know deep in our souls. We know how we feel when we disconnect emotionally with anybody else. We know how we feel when we choose to put ourselves in a silo. And, it's, and, and even though there might be a lot of people around us, we, it's just us. And we're all alone in there. And no one can get to us. We know how that makes us feel. Well, not only is there physical evidence, and I think that we know that, there's also scriptural evidence as well. Look at Ch Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. This is a verse that anytime I'm getting ready to do a, a wedding for someone, 
we go over this verse and we go over this concept. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, I'm not going to get into all this today, but by the way, who did God make for the man? He made a woman. Did he make another man for the man? No. Did he make a woman for a woman? No, I, I said I'm not going to get into all this, and then I'm about to get into all of it. But here's the deal. God made, it was not good for the man to be alone, so God said, here, here's a woman for you. And he said, whoa, man, you know, that's, that's how she became known as woman. And so, so God made the woman for the man. But anyway, but here's the thing we're going to focus on today, is that God looked down at everything he had created, and he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, these verses aren't on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis 1, chapter 4, because the, the earth is brand new. Everything has just been made. And up to this point, everything was good. Look at Genesis 1, verse 4. And when I get to the word good, I want you to say good with me. God saw that the light was good. Say it loud. God saw that the light was good, and he separated light from the darkness. Now look over at verse 10 of Genesis chapter 1. It says this, God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. Now, look at verse 12 of Genesis chapter 1. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds and God saw that it was good. Now look at verses 16, 17, and 18. God made two great lights the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Verse 21 of Genesis chapter 1. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 25 of Genesis 1. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And then last one, verse 31. You're getting weak on the goods. Let's bust it out here on verse 31, all right? God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Now listen. God had made the earth. And he was looking down, kind of taking a survey. That's good. Check out those fish I made. That's good. There's the sun. I made that. That's good. Here's, here's uh, animals that I made. That's good. Look at all those plants that are going to be able to feed people. That's good. He made, looked at everything, looked at the man, looked at all the stuff he made, said, that's good. It's all good. Everything good that I have made. And then the first thing in the history of the world that God ever looked at and said, that's not good is that there was a man who was all alone. See, God has designed us to be in relationship with other people. We need each other. We have a, a need that, that is so deep within us that if we try to isolate ourselves, we're going to find all kinds of problems that we're going to experience. See, the reason that the guy in Alaska could not live by himself. Trying to live without relationships would have been like him trying to live in Alaska without food and water because he needed those things as much as he needed food and water to sustain him. 
He needed those relationships. We all need each other. Now, we don't only need each other because it'll help us from dying and we need it for survival. We also need each other to meet our potential. I want you to look at the book of Proverbs. You can turn over there. It's the middle of the Bible, Proverbs 27, 17. By the way, before I read Proverbs 27, 17, men, just let me read Proverbs 27, 15, and 16. This is just funny that this is in the Bible. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like the restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. You don't have to say amen to that because you'll get in trouble, all right? But that'll just give you... Y'all need to be reading the Bible for yourselves because there's a lot of funny stuff in here. So ladies, if your husband ever looks at you, say, you are like a constant dripping. You'll know he's just, he's just quoting scripture. No reason to be upset with him about that, okay? But guys, I would not suggest trying that. But look at what Proverbs 27, 17 says. After we talk about the constant dripping wife, it says this. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You see, if we have relationships with other people, That helps us to become all we are supposed to be. It helps us to reach our potential. Just as iron sharpens iron, if you have a a deep relationship with someone, an emotional relationship, and you get to know them, you learn from their mistakes, you learn from their strengths, and you begin to learn from one another. None of us, no matter how great we think we are, none of us are smart enough and talented enough to manage this world on our own. That's why God has given us this miracle of relationships. And it really is a miracle. Think about some of the relationships of people that that, that you're good friends with and you hang out with. Sometimes you don't even have that much in common, but it's something about it. You just are able to make a connection with someone. You're able to understand who they are and they understand who you are. And and you know that if it wasn't for this person, life would be such uh, much more difficult than it is now. And so this miracle of relationships, we need it for survival, we need it to reach our potential, we need it to grow to what we can be on this, this earth. So what should be the result of that? If, we, if God has given us this desire, and he's given us this need to be in relationship with one another, what should be the result of that? Well, the result has been for years, and it will continue to be, community. God's plan for his people has always included community. God's plan for his people has always included community. Now, when we think of community today, a lot of it we think of it in a real estate type of aspect. They have planned communities. And so these real estate developers, which they're all good guys, or most of them are good guys that I know, and, and uh, they, they buy this piece of land, and they're going to put a community on this piece of land. They're not going to put a community. They can't put a community on that piece of land. They can put houses on it. And sometimes the neighborhood that's there actually grows into a community. But just because you live in this place doesn't mean you have community with these other people that live around you. Because community is where people gather together and uh, around something that they have in common. It, for example, and, and it's not necessarily a geographic thing, and, and sometimes it's definitely not a geographic thing. For example, in a couple of weeks, uh, Clemson and Carolina will be playing football again. And I don't know if you've ever been to Death Valley or Williams-Brice Stadium on a game day. That is a community. But everybody's dressed the same. 
They all are there for the same purpose. They get mad at the same things. They get excited about the same things. And it's a community. And when you're there, you feel it. I'm in the community of Gamecock fans, or I'm in the community of Tiger fans. And while you're there, you know that this, this is a real thing. This is a community. Well, it's always been God's plan for his people to be involved in community, but not just Gamecock community or Tiger community. In fact, there's one of those I think maybe it's not God's plan for people to be involved in, but I'm, I'm not going to say which one that is, Tiger fans. But um, <laughs> y'all just fired a Christian coach, but anyway, we won't get into all that. Um, I know I'm getting myself in trouble, but it's all right. Look, I know y'all are going to beat us this year anyway. I don't care anymore. I'm just so tired. Yeah, that's fine. Exactly right. I'm going to get my reward in heaven for suffering all these years. All right? Y'all go ahead and take your reward now. I got way off track on that. But it's always been God's plan for us to be in community, but not just those types of communities. It's been God's plan for us to be in a community where the common thing is Jesus where what we have in common is we are all followers of Christ. And that's always been his plan for us. I want you to look back at the book of Genesis again. Genesis 28. We're going to look at four verses of Scripture where God specifically talks about community and how important it is. Genesis 28, verse 3. Now, you remember a couple of weeks ago when I made a mistake and I said that there was this guy named Isaac, and he had 12 sons, and none of y'all read the Bible, so y'all didn't correct me on that. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't know if y'all read the Bible or not. But nobody corrected me on it, and I came back last week, and I said, I was wrong about that. It's Jacob who had the 12 sons. Well, this is Isaac talking to his son Jacob. And in fact, he's blessing him. And he's talking about what he's going to become and what his descendants will become. And look at this, Genesis 28, verse 3. It says this. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. Until you become a community of peoples. I love that he uses the term there, peoples. In other words, it's not just going to be people who look like us. It's not going to just be people that are in your line. But he was taught, you know what he was talking about there? He was talking about freedom fellowship. Now, he didn't know Freedom Fellowship. He didn't know that I would exist and you would exist. and there'd be, He didn't even know there'd be a place called Greer, South Carolina. But he was talking about the church. Because who would Jacob's line lead to? Does anybody know? Do any of you know your Bible history? Who would eventually, Jacob would have kids, they would have kids, they would have kids, they would have kids. And one day, one of Jacob's ancient descendants would have a kid named Joseph. And then one day, he would marry this virgin, and she would have a child, and whose name was what? Jesus. You see, Jacob was the great, great, great descendant of Jesus. And so when Isaac said to him, through you will be born a community of peoples, he wasn't just talking about the family of Jacob. He was talking about us. He was talking about the church. He was talking about the fact that Jesus would then have followers and they would gather in groups like we are here today. And then they would become their own communities. Look at verse, uh, Genesis 35, 11. This same idea continues. Genesis 35, 11. Once again, this is Jacob this time. Before that was Isaac blessing Jacob. Now this is Jacob, and God is talking directly to Jacob. And this is what God says to Jacob. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will come from your body. You know the reason why we support a church in Africa? 
is because we have the thing in common with them that we are both followers of Jesus. And when our folks go to Africa next week, they're going to have more in common with someone that lives in Africa and follows Jesus than they will have in common with someone that lives in Greer and doesn't follow Jesus. Because that's what binds us together. That's what makes us a community. So when God says to Jacob, you will become a community of nations, he was talking about that this thing is going to be a worldwide thing. That his plan was for us to be in relationship with each other and this, these relationships were to spread throughout the world and that every corner of the earth would hear about the story of Jesus. Now look at Exodus. That's the next book after Genesis. Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. Now before I read Exodus 12, 3, you remember what happened to the Israelites as they were taken captive. They lived in Egypt. They were slaves. And they needed to be freed from slavery. And so God had, Moses kept going to Pharaoh, who was the leader of Egypt, and said, you need to let these people go free. I'm going to lead them out of here. Pharaoh would deny them that opportunity. God would send what were called plagues, and it would be things like frogs everywhere and gnats everywhere and, and uh, darkness covering the land and the whole river turns to blood. All these crazy things were happening. But Pharaoh continued to say, you can't leave, you can't leave, you can't leave. And finally God said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill the firstborn in every household. And then he said, now Israelites, if you don't want your firstborn child to be killed, this is what you need to do. You need to take a lamb, you need to kill it, you need to take the blood from that lamb, and you need to paint it over the doorpost of your home. And that way you'll be saved. And so look at what it says here in Exodus 12, 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household, the whole community. Now listen to me real close here. It was the choice of the individual homeowner of whether or not he would do this. He could have said, you know what, that's not going to happen, and not killed a lamb. And then he would have woken in the morning to find his firstborn son or daughter laying dead in the bed, just like all the Egyptians did. He had to make the choice to accept that. But if he chose to accept that, who did salvation come to? What is the word does it use there? Community. It came to the entire community of Israel. Anyone who chose to accept that, you are now part of this community. We are the people that chose to slaughter the lamb. We are the people that are going to leave Egypt together. And that's exactly the way it is for us. You have to individually choose to accept Christ. Showing up here today and hanging around with people that are followers of Jesus, it doesn't rub off on you like, like a rash or anything like that. You've got to make the decision for yourself. But once you do, once you choose to accept Jesus, you now have decided and made a conscious choice to enter into a community. And that is what God was telling them then. You are going to make this individual choice, but then if you do that, the whole community will be saved. And it's not to be lived out individually now look over at exodus 12 47 so they do that they're getting to leave and then god says to him in exodus 12 47 he's saying you need to celebrate this and look what it says the whole community of israel must celebrate it and he's talking about the passover which followers of, of judaism still celebrate to this day and what it is they're celebrating the fact that god saved us that's why we gather together here 
because we come together as a community of people who have been committed to Christ, who he has changed our lives, he has saved us, and we come together to celebrate. See, we're not making this stuff up. It's not like Donnie and I sit down and say, hey, you know what, why don't we get together every week so that we can feel better about ourselves because we see what kind of crowd we gather. No, we get together because God told us, now that you are in this community, you gather together to celebrate salvation. The reason we do life groups, the reason we are constantly encouraging you, make connections with people, go deeper in your relationships with folks in this community, is because God has told us, if you do that, if you can begin to connect with folks, you will find out that you are going to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. As it says in the book of Philippians, you're going to do that together. And if you do that together, you're going to be stronger than if you try to do that alone. If we try to, if we think we can accept Christ and live out our lives totally on our own, we're going to find ourselves spiritually weak and spiritually malnourished. Now here's something you need to know that's interesting about the Bible and the word community. We just read about, God was talking about community in Genesis. He talked about it in Exodus, and if you, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you find a lot of talk in there about community. God's given rules for the community. He uses that term over and over again. Now, what happened after Deuteronomy? Does anybody remember? The Israelites, they wandered around the desert, and then finally they got to go into the promised land. God had been telling them, this is yours, you're going to be able to take it one day. They finally get to go into that in the book of Joshua. Moses has died, Joshua was the guy that led them after that. Joshua takes them in the promised land. They start kicking people's tails and, and killing armies and all this kind of stuff and taking over lands and all this cool stuff is happening for them. But you know what happens after the book of Joshua? The word community disappears from the Bible. It's found, I think, two times in Joshua. And then after that, it's only found two more times in the entire Old Testament. And one of those times, it's not even being used where it's talking about it as a good thing. It's somebody talking bad about the Israelites and referring to them as a community. But it, the word community is not in the Bible anymore after that. Not in the Old Testament anymore after that. Now, why is that? Well, think about what happened. You see, after the folks... They'd been, they, were, they were this community of people that they all relied on God for everything. They relied on him for food. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, how he would drop food out of the sky, quail and manna, and they would pick it up and they would eat it. They relied on, on each other to, to survive as they're out in the wilderness and they needed one another and they were in this community that God had told them to be in. And then once they entered the promised land, each one of the tribes of Israel was given their own piece of land. You go start your own life. You start your own life. You start your own life. And they began to scatter away from one another. And pretty soon, community was not what it was before. But now, they were more concerned with things like kings. And they kept wanting a king. And they were concerned about politics. And they were concerned about protecting their own household. And they were concerned about trying to get more and more for themselves. And they were concerned about these idols that were coming in and things that they were bowing down and worshiping when their whole focus was supposed to be on Jesus. And pretty soon, the idea of community just passed away. Now, does that culture sound like any culture you know of today? What do we spend our time worrying about? If I hear one more comment about the Obama health care plan, I'm going to punch somebody in the face. I mean, I'm sick of it. Because here's the deal. I don't care what he does. 
I don't depend on Obama or on George Bush or anybody else to take care of me. My family depends on Christ. And this community of people, we should depend on Christ. But we've gotten so caught up into politics and into greed and into protecting our own household. And we pull into our garages and we, cut, we close the garage door behind us so we can get in the house without anybody seeing us. And pretty soon the idea of community is so far away from us. And we gather in here sometimes on Sunday mornings and, and sometimes it's just such a joke because we come in and we don't want to really get to know one another and we're afraid someone's going to really ask us how we're doing and we come in and we get out and we don't want to make connections with anyone. We've become like the Israelites were. We've lost the sense of community that God designed us to be in. God wants us to gather together. He wants us to get together in smaller groups and to learn how that we can talk together about how we can reach our community and our nation so that we will not just be this small community of a couple hundred people on Sunday mornings, but we can become a community of peoples all throughout this county and the next county and this state and the nation and the world. You see, it's time for us to get connected. Maybe you've disconnected from the idea of community a long time ago, but it's time to get connected. We, uh, we have this modem at church, at the office. Uh, we moved a few weeks ago, y'all know, moved our offices out to the new property, and hopefully y'all come out and, and see that tonight and this afternoon. And when we did that, um, we had to get a new internet hookup and phones and all that kind of stuff. Well, we got this new modem and everything's going to be fine. Well, you'd be working on it, and then all of a sudden, You'd go to click on something else, and oh, you're offline. Oh, good night, offline. So you wait, you know, and I, of course, me not knowing anything, I'd call Donnie, and Donnie loves those calls from me. Hey, modem's not working. What are we doing about this? And uh, he would say, shut up. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't say that. But. So what, what ended up happening, and by the way, guys, we thought it was fixed. I had to do this again this morning just to let you know. So what we ended up having to do, we have to go in there, and this is such a computer thing. This is the reason I don't like computers. What else in the world works like this? Unplug it. Wait a minute and plug it back in. Now it works fine. How, how many of you have anything else? Vacuum cleaner's not back. It conks out. Hey, unplug it and plug it back in. Hey, it works fine. That's amazing. Nothing else in the world other than computers works like that. So we would have to, so it just got to be one of these things where every three or four days or, or three or four times a day, you go in there, unplug it, plug it back in. But when it's disconnected, it's not doing what it's supposed to do, is it? It's not working. Nobody can send emails. You can't go on Google and search about Obama's health care plan or any of that kind of stuff. You can't do any of that. And so when you're disconnected, you're not going to be able to be as effective as you need to be. And if you are disconnected from other people, you will never be able to be as effective spiritually as you will be if you make deep connections with other people that are followers of Christ. You know, if, if you... Um, and Donnie talked about this earlier, but if you've been coming here for a while and you just show up and you, you eat your donut and you hang around out in the atrium for a while, and by the way, service starts at 1030, all right? If you get here at 1030 and you're eating a donut, you're missing out on some good stuff going on in here. But, but you're hanging out there in the atrium for a while and, and then you wait till the welcome time's over before you come in because you don't want to have to greet anybody. And you sit down, and then as soon as you're thinking, good night, Cliff, shut up and get done. And as soon as I'm done, you jump up and you zip outside and you get in your car as soon as you can and you drive home. You're never going to get all you can get out of being a part of this community because you've decided to be disconnected from it. And the sad thing is, and Donnie and I were talking about that this week, just about a, an individual we know. The sad thing is, is that 
oftentimes when we need community the most is when we disconnect from it. We'll be real connected and involved when things are going well. Then when our husband leaves us, when our kid gets pregnant, when we lose our job and lose the house and declare bankruptcy, all of a sudden we quit showing up. Don't sign up for life groups anymore. Don't come to worship anymore. Quit taking calls from these people at church that loved us and, and are trying to be a part of community because all of a sudden now we're embarrassed. And that's when we need community more than ever. And we disconnect ourselves when things start to go downhill. And that's a tragedy when we do that. Now, we give you a couple of opportunities to be involved in community here. Donnie's already talked about one life groups. That's just an easy way to do it. And I can tell you from experience, because I've been in a life group every time we've ever had one, ever since we started Freedom about five years ago. And I can point to people in this sitting here today and I can say, I got a relationship with those people. I got a relationship with that guy right there. I got a relationship with that couple. I know who their kids are. They know who my kids are because we were sat in life group together. People that, other than that, I would just on Sunday morning, hey, how you doing? Glad you're here. And I'd come up here and do my thing. But now I've made deeper connections with folks. I'll tell you another opportunity we give you to get connected around here is through service. Through finding a place to serve. How many of you served hot dogs eat with each other at the back-to-school bash a couple weeks ago? And you stand there for a couple hours putting hot dogs in buns, you get to know the person you're with. And that's probably a good way to get to know them. You might find out, man, they don't do well under pressure. I don't want to be around them. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's when you serve together. If you want, to, you want to get connected with folks here, volunteer to be on the sound setup crew or on the crew that sets up the nurseries on Sunday mornings or, or volunteer to help at Halloween hoopla coming up. That, that's a great way to get to know people. Working side by side, getting your elbows dirty as you, as you work on stuff. It's a great way to get connected. I want to read Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. Because I told you the, the term community disappears from the Bible after Joshua. But when the New Testament comes, and Jesus was on earth, and he established this small community of guys that nobody else wanted to hang around with, and they were... All, just they, they were, had all kind of issues and problems and they were kind of dumb. And then he leaves the earth. Jesus is killed. He comes back to life. He hangs around for a while. Then he leaves and goes back to heaven. And these dumb guys that hung around with him, they begin to start a community of their own. It's called the first church. And look at the description of the first church in Acts chapter two, uh, 4, starting with verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Very, very, very different from the way we live our lives today. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them kept all the money for themselves and gave 2% to the church. Is that what it says? No. It says, sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. That sounds pretty good. That sounds like a community I want to be a part of. 
But here's the thing. I know for some of you that makes you uncomfortable. Especially that part about they shared everything. Cliff, isn't that socialism? Isn't that what we've been talking about with this whole health care plan that we're all scared of? We're not talking about the government here. We're talking about the church. And God has called us to be in community. And if we see our brother has a need, we're supposed to meet it. See, if, 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 if churches were really being communities, we wouldn't need the government to give us a health care plan. We wouldn't need anything else because if somebody has to have a PET scan done because they found out they've got cancer, the church would pay for it. Well, you can clap at that or you, or you might think that's terrible. But here's the thing. We're not going to get there as long as we continue to say, yeah, this is my stuff right here. And we're not going to get there if we show up at church once every six months and walk in the door saying, hey, I'm having a PET scan. Can y'all help me out? You're not a part of the community. You're not here. You're not investing your time and your life here and building relationships with people. God has called us to be a community. Not only has he called us to be a community, he's put it in our hearts to be a community. And it's up to us to do that on our own. The, you know, the, one of the coolest things about the church in Acts chapter 4 is that it was organic. And what that means is it was natural. It grew up. And, and so that it wasn't like Peter and, and John and James sat down and they had this grandmaster plan. We're going to start, grandmaster plan would be a great name for a rapper, by the way. I just thought about that. But um, that just came to me. But it wasn't like they sat down and they had this master plan and they said, we're going to start this here and then uh, this guy named Philip, he's going to go over and talk to an Ethiopian and that's going to get all those folks and we're going to do this. It just naturally happened. And it was organic and it couldn't be stopped and it would grow up here and it would grow up here and it would grow up here. So if you're looking at me today saying, okay, Cliff, cool, I like the idea of community. What are you going to do as the pastor to make that happen? I'm not going to do anything to make that happen because I can't make it happen. If we're going to have, if this church is really going to be a community and it's going to be full of little groups of people that they have bonded together and they're caring for each other and they're meeting each other's needs and they're trying to reach out and bring other people into this church, that's going to have to happen organically and you're going to have to start it. It can't be organized. You're going to have to do it. If you like what you heard in Acts chapter 4 verses 32 through 37, then start living that way. Get a couple of couples that you know and you just decide we're going we're gonna to take care of each other. It's not a click because you're always looking out. Who else can we help? Who else can we bring in? Community. It's part of God's plan for us. Let's don't resist it anymore. Let's embrace it. Let's pray together. Band, y'all can come on up. Father God, I pray that we would understand how you've designed us and how part of your plan for us is to make deep connections with other people and Lord even though sometimes that seems unnatural and sometimes it can be messy because people are messed up help us to embrace that idea that we would begin to truly connect with the people here at Freedom and then as a result of that we would begin to look outward as we want to bring other folks here. God, you've designed us with a need for one another. Help us to remember, though, Lord, that our biggest need is for you, for you to forgive us, for you to give us the strength to even 
be in a relationship. And so we turn our hearts to you first of all, and then ask that you would help us turn our hearts to others as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.